Well, Grand Rising, everybody, and thank you so much for being here and your patience as we uh, address the technology uh, concern of the morning, which was Blog Talk was down and we decided to put Podbean up. So uh, life is uh, not what happens to you, but how you respond to it. And um, so I am excited. So we've got uh, Teddy here already this morning. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, I am excited uh, to uh, have Eric uh, Pepper, Dr. Eric Pepper, join us this morning. He is an amazing soul. He was the keynote speaker at the Holistic Lifestyle Conference where um, we connected. And um, he's going to talk about uh, stress as it relates to our technologies, technology, which is such an important topic. Um, I could probably talk about that one all day long. And I... Um, but he he's he's a level up. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna be the student. Woo! <laughs> okay. So, um, without further ado, let me bring in uh, Dr. Eric Pepper. Good morning. Well, good morning, Jody. So, thank you so much for this uh, strong, you know, powerful introduction. It's always shocking to sit here uh -huh. and after people have introduced you because it is such a buildup, and it always reminds me of going to a funeral where people get, or, you know, where people give all these nice talks about the person who has just passed. And yet we all know they're not quite like that. And so, you know, well, and, but, the, but, well, okay. So, you know, duality, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and after what I found in my body uh, yesterday, um, I now understand duality at a deeper level. <laughs> so, um, uh, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But I, I did have a blood scan. I was telling a, a, um, a, my my blood scan yesterday, and um, well, actually, I will talk about it. I had my blood scan yesterday, and there were um, uh, fungi and um, uh, parasites that bonded together and created its own colony, and it's been there since 1990. Now, I want to tell you, it took on its own shape, and it looks like a dragon. And if you follow Dr. Amen at all, uh, with you know, his, you know, you know, dealing with your dragons, I'm like, you know, part of it looks like a butterfly, right? <laughs> part of it looks kind of like a dog, and like it looks like a dragon. And it's really, you know, when you look at these things, um, when you bring the metaphysical together with the with the medical, like that's when really transformation happens when you can look at both sides and look at the science and listen to God and, and, uh, and bring all that together. So, um, and, uh, when, you know, we have, um, you know, a few more people here watching, you know, we'll, we'll show and really do a deeper dive on that, but tell me how, how did you get, I mean, you've been doing this for what, 35 years. Is that right? About around there? Yeah, we probably, we have done the exploration of tech stress probably for almost 40 years, I suspect. And really it started when people first started to use the computer, when what many of us know, there was a whole technology called repetitive strain injury, yeah. you know, where, you know, this was especially true for anybody who was a computer immigrant, I'll call that, that is somebody who was, who was used to typewriters or anything like that, then started to work at the computer and many people developed, you know, achiness, uh, that the achiness still exists or the symptoms exist just as much today, that it hasn't changed. Sometimes the qualities have changed. And how we started was very pragmatic. 
someone referred me a client who had the kind of neck and shoulder and arm pain and was out of work uh, because of workers' comp with the injury they got working at the computer at, at their job. And then they already had their desk totally analyzed and their chair and the computer set up by an, well, no, by an ergonomist. And so they were sitting ideally correctly, and yet the person still had symptoms. And that really showed or gave the hint there was something more than just the ergonomic component of it. Ergonomics is how you set up your world around you to optimize it for your health and performance, I would say. Uh, then we, since the area I'm involved with is biofeedback research, which means you monitor from the physiology and then you teach people to become aware or have self-regulation or they can change it. Uh, we then hook the, monitor this person, monitor muscle tension, their shoulder, their arms, and we can even look at breathing rates. And then what we saw really is that, for example, and they brought their hands to the keyboard without any awareness. And I think that is the underlying piece. They brought their shoulders slightly up. They kept, uh, Yeah, right. And they didn't know. The key is the person was totally unaware. And if you hold your shoulders up for a while, you're going to be in trouble because muscles are basically, you could say, evolved to tighten and then let go and relax to regenerate and maybe the, and so the physiology showed that the person in fact was bracing did not know it and that pattern of bracing was partly how they were sitting it was both the external components how they sat and also their own internal stress or or thoughts because thoughts and emotions affect and impact body just as much as body changes thoughts and emotions. That's called the psychophysiological principle. What the physiology does and the biofeedback does, it really monitors and shows you this relationship. So when you have a thought, it affects your body or vice versa. And therefore you can become aware. And then it becomes a methodology to learn how to change your body and often your thoughts and emotions so that your health is optimized. The way to think about it is at the computer, when you're sitting, even if your chair is the correct chair, perfectly adjusted for you, it only gives you the opportunity to sit correctly. If the arrangement is incorrect, then it's very difficult to do. And much of this we had described in our book, Tech Stress, how technology is hijacking our, our lives and, and strategies for coping and pragmatic ergonomics. So many of the details we have described in, in this book. So that is really how we started. And then, but we continue to do this, you see many different factors. So you see that when people work at the computer, it is really different than working for those who have gray hair like me at a typewriter. Uh, those who remember, oh, I remember the typewriter days, I'm, I'm turning 60 this year. So yeah, no, I, I started on a typewriter and taught myself how to use a computer in 1980. Uh, 1985 or 1986 or something, I remember. Yes, yeah, so when you remember working on the typewriter, for those, remember on a regular typewriter, you would be typing, then you would, and notice when you're typing, you're sitting straight up, more mm -hmm. or less. You may have gone to typing class where the teacher okay. even put a quarter on your wrists, so you would keep your wrists straight, so you had to learn to sit on this little chair perfectly. So you sat perfectly on the chair. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And then you type. I'm, I'm just showing everybody your book that is now out. Uh, text stress, health technology is hijacking our lives, strategies for coping and pragmatic ergonomics. Where are some other places that they can purchase your book? Probably the easiest usually is Amazon. They can also get it from the publisher, but I think the e it also comes as an ebook, which is paradoxical because I think you want to read books in person. And the advantage of reading a book in person is you can give it away to somebody else. If you get an ebook, it's really just a loan from the publisher. So I always recommend that people buy the their, their books as a book, whoever it is, because then you can pass it on and pass it on and pass it on to others. But let me go back for a moment yes. to, to the, the whole issue of sitting at the computer and the typewriter. Remember the typewriter? You typed, and then at the end of a sentence, you have your arm would move up, and you would have to slam the carriage to the other side. And then yeah. later, depending on how financially successful you were or you bought a, an IBM Selectric. IBM yes. Selectric, we had them. Mm -hmm. And then you could press And the, you thought I wouldn't know. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> you know, my dad, um, my dad was self-employed and we had, um, you know, we had, and, and, you know, actually, so he, he grew up with nothing, like nothing. And so, um, uh, you know, created everything that he had from scratch. So like the little boy that he was, right? Because we're all, you know, our inner child. Little kids, yes. Right. He, you know, when the TVs came out, there was one for every room, right? And when the IBM Selectrics came out, he had ones for the office, one for the home office, you know, one downstairs. Then it was hilarious. He used to put one in his car and take it with him like a computer. <laughs> yes. And the key of the Selectric, remember, is you didn't have to hit the carriage return. You could use yeah. your to hit the return bar. But yeah. then keep in mind again what happens and just what you're doing right now when you adjusted your hair. Mm -hmm. After you finish your typing, typing your page, then you would have to turn the, you know, the carriage to, to take the paper out and then put a new piece of paper in. And yeah. then you would take this piece of paper and put it somewhere, sometimes stand up and file it or whatever you would do. You know, oh, but we're not doing any of that. You, There's but no you movement. just did embedded in the typing task or were sporadic movements. It meant that even if my shoulders were up the whole time while I was typing, especially when I get upset and angry or frustrated of time, time demands, maybe the relationship with my coworkers or supervisors, or because I worry about my child I have to take care of or at home or I had to leave it at home because I was sick or whatever, whatever those demands were. If you're stressed emotionally, physically, mentally, then your tension tends to be higher. But, but you're like this, but now you use other muscles. These relax again. When muscles are contracted, they often reduce the blood flow by about 80% for them. So if you do that long enough, you get achiness. Let me do this as an experiment for the people who are listening and well, for yourself. Let me ask you a quick question before we sure. go to the experiment. So, um, you know, I often talk about cellular memories. So I would suspect that if you're sitting behind that desk long enough, you are creating a cellular memory. Tell me about that. Well, I think what you're doing, I would call that classical conditioning almost, that after a while, the moment you enter the room, depending on your associations with your work or what you're doing, you evoke the emotional and physical state. So if you have been stressed, then the moment you're there, it probably can evoke it again. No, no different than Pavlov's dog when you gave it a piece of meat and then it salivated. 
Then you ring a bell, and after a while, the bell causes salivation. This happens in us all the time. The moment you think something, it evokes a body response. Yeah. And if, and if you want to, some things, a moto, right? I mean. So be yeah. careful what you think. But, you know, for, for it depends who you are. Some people don't quite buy it. So, for example, if, you, if you're not driving, then all you do, just sit comfortably for a moment. I'll do a mini experiment to show this part. Okay. As you're sitting, I'd like you to press your ankles together, press your knees together, tighten your buttocks, bring your arms up, make a fist really tight and wrinkle your face. And as you're doing that, at this moment, tighter and tighter, are you holding your breath? Most I am. Most likely you held your breath. And if we can, so that's one. The key for health is to continue to breathe. But let me go to the second one. Now really tighten again, really tighten again. And now let it all go loose. Loop. Mm -hmm. And as you let it go, let it be relaxed. And now as you're relaxed, what I'd like you to do is just imagine a big yellow lemon. Really with the two chubby ends, this big yellow lemon. Then imagine taking a kitchen knife, putting the lemon on, the, on a cutting board and cutting the lemon in half. And as you're cutting it, you know, you feel the pressure it takes to hold the knife. You feel the droplets of lemon juice against your skin. Now, put the knife to the side, pick up one of the half lemons, look at it. Look at the outer yellow rind, the pale whitish inner rind. Then take a glass, squeeze this half lemon so the juice goes into the glass. Put that one down, pick up the other half lemon, squeeze that, put it into the, let the drops go into the glass. After you have done that, put the, that half lemon to the side. Now take this glass and slowly hold it in your hand, lift it to your lips. Feel the coolness of the glass against your lower lip. Now tilt the glass, contain the lemon juice, tilt it more so the lemon juice against your lips. Now open your mouth, now taste and swallow the lemon juice. Mm. You can spit out the pit. And what most people experience and I, is that when they do this little visualization, all of a sudden they have more saliva. Yeah, I do. You see, and if you think of that, that's, that's much more important than we think. Because what happened? I changed my autonomic nervous system. I changed my physiology just with a single image and thoughts. So therefore, what we think, what we let go into our eyes, into our awareness, in a sense, affects our physiology and our health. I well, and then you bring it into your field. Um, I mean, you literally bring that energy into your field with your thoughts. Yeah, um, so you could say, yes, and the thoughts change or that it changes your physiology, which can be for positive. Think of compassion. Think of lovingness. Think of caring. Think of completing a task. Think of being helpful to others. Think of evoking peaceful images. And what do we, most of us spend our time doing? We watch these streaming videos, which are violent. And so we get all agitated. And then we have trouble sleeping at night. And, or we look at screens. One of the most interesting qualities about screens are there really two. One, at night, it is that the screen produces blue light, which 
tends to interfere with the melatonin. It interrupts our sleep, especially if we're older. That's one. Two, when we look at screens, it also evokes our awakeness or our agitation. If you watch streaming videos, do that. If you're looking at your cell phone just before going to sleep, ah, what is my responsibility for tomorrow? I look at my social media. I get excited. I text. It wakes me Well, up. right. And so I teach people to, when they go to bed, first, I mean, and I'm always, look, I mean, I, I, I try to practice what I preach. I do not practice what I preach all the time. But if you could, you know, turn the Wi-Fi off at night. Um, don't expose yourself to the blue light before bed. Um, it, it, it offsets your, um, uh, you know, I think I'm hearing noise uh, from Podbean. Uh, Naima, can you uh, close your mic? Because I think you're the only one on other than me. Um, and um, it, it, anyway, so it's it's unplugging, basically, before you go to bed is, is yes. really the gist of it. And there is nothing new about that concept in many ways, because that's the base of most spiritual traditions, where before going to sleep, you read something that's peaceful in some sense, make a connection where one is at one or whatever. So you're quieter, let go of anger and resentment for before going to, to bed. Yeah. And then Donna Pro, uh, Proto, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Donna. She says, I don't have a lemon, but just you talking about the action of squeezing the juice in a glass and drinking it, I could taste the lemon. Right. Yes. So we're such powerful human beings. And, um, you know, actually, I am going to show that image I was talking about earlier. Um, and well, maybe before you do that, let me yeah. suggest to explain a little bit more about the tech stress, and then it makes more sense. One, yeah. as I said earlier, we're unaware that we hold constant tension. That's the difference now. You look at people, they're, in they're captured by the computer. They are sitting, looking at the screen. Time passes. If you look at little ch young children, especially boys, you know, anybody who has ch boys knows that if the boy is playing computer game and it's dinner time, the mom or the caretaker or the dad says, okay, it's time to stop uh, with dinner in 15. And the boy says, I'll be done in a moment. And then another half an hour later, you still have to tell the child. It's addictive. They are addicted. And the reason we are addicted, and we would blame the child on that often, has nothing to do with that. No. It is that basically the technology to a large extent has captured our survival behaviors. Think of it if when we lived many years, you know, thousands of years before we walked on the savanna or in the forest, what happens is that you want to be aware of what is going around you. You know, if you see something on the side, you want to orient to that because mm -hmm. that could be a tiger. We were prey, basically. Yes. We are wired to be prey. So we had to be vigilant. And every time we see something, on the periphery especially, or in the distance, it could be a goodie, it could be food, or it could be an, an enemy. Well, it could be that we are the food, right? <laughs> yes, we are prey. Absolutely. And so we react. And then when the moment we react, we have to give the fight-flight response. And then we do this. And so... What happens is that that's a very good mechanism. We now attend to that. It's very useful. We do it in many different ways. We freeze for a moment. 
our breathing changes, our, our, you know, we are really cannibalizing ourselves at that moment to, to take our resources to fight and flight. Yeah, I really think it's so important that people have self-awareness around that. You know, there's um, people are not all, you know, I'm not saying all, but a lot of people. Yeah, you're totally right. You want to be self-aware, but it's beyond awareness because it almost assumes we are aware and we have a kind of responsibility, responsibility for our behavior. I would argue that we are almost wired that way. That's called an evolutionary trap. We are wired that our adaptive behavior of being vigilant and responding allowed us to survive. To so I agree. And then I'm going to say there's a yes and to this. Sure. Okay? Great. So I have used precision sound frequency to bring the brain into a theta state. Right. And when you do this, it allows uh, a person to be present in the moment Um and yes, be aware, but not just to go into fight or flight, but actually almost like a choice in the matter, right? Because you have such a high level of awareness, not only are you going to run, but you're actually going to have a specific place that you're going to run to because it's going to be thought through, but in nanoseconds, right? Because your brain no longer has the chatter. The brain well, chatter, the monkey brain, some people call it, but the, um, and I've been using this technology since 2014 and it really changes people's lives. Yes. I would agree totally on that part. And I would say that when we give that reaction, it is basically an automatic response for survival, but we do have an option and we can learn skills to interrupt that to pause, to not react, to say, oops, there I go. I can pull back. I can make time out when I do it. So yes, that's the whole purpose. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing a book to say from tech stress and how you can basically transform it to tech health. But I think- Yeah, and I would love to talk about um, one of the things I'd like to have you share about because we, we and actually then I want to show this picture because I think it's just so amazing is that, you know, how technology disrupts the microbiome, you know, and do you, do you, do you talk about that at all in your books? I didn't get a chance to read it between now and the time we got you on here. So I apologize. No, the, I, I, the book does not deal with that. It deals indirectly, you could say, because if you make the assumption, which mm-hmm. is correct, I think that during technology, it can also, technology can also be very helpful but if you're more in this chronic, slightly activated state in which you breathe more shallowly, which is clear, you sit in a body position, often slightly collapsed, which evokes, which lets you evoke more easily hopeless, helpless thoughts, that changes the digestive process as well. And therefore, it would indirectly affect the human biome. People have not done studies with tech stress per se, whether the biome changes. I think the critical part of the human biome, the first step would probably are, there are about four or five steps which are really critical in the human biome, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and I think uh, there may have been studies, and I, I, I would, I'll pull them out because I'm, I'm doing the, uh, a talk for the uh, Georgia Addiction Counselors um, Association uh, in, at the, towards the end of October, but 
it, what it does, uh, we know that the technology itself uh, changes our cells, right? And um, it, and, and from what I saw yesterday when I had this blood work done, when you combine that with having, um, you know, parasites or fungi, they actually chomp away at your cells. They take bites out of it. And we are just making it easier because our defense mechanisms are down when we're not sitting properly. The flow of energy is not going properly from our brain through our spine and to the rest of our body. And we are um, trying to operate while receiving a frequency that's not in alignment with our physical body or spirit. So sure. Let me put it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. If you think about it when we are working, mm -hmm. you know, and often, especially when it's under stress or we don't take breaks and we don't regenerate. But think about every time I give this unaware alarm reaction and I do this chronically, then basically our bodies move into a fight flight state. What does it mean? At that moment, our body cannibalizes itself. So mm -hmm. why should the body heal itself? Why should it activate the immune system? Why should it repair itself? And why should it digest food if it's going to be somebody else, if it will be someone else's lunch? And that's a very simplistic way of thinking. And then your, the point is well taken that there is suggestive evidence that the whole Wi-Fi signals, at least you put it against the head and stuff like you see essentially the cells will react differently for a time period like the cell phones. Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen the, um, and I'm just getting my cell phone on do not disturb because uh, it was a uh, um, a morning uh, that was not uh, easy this way. I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad, but I mean, we just had to do things. I can't get it on do not disturb. Well, hopefully no one calls in this morning uh, <laughs> during the show. Um, you know, so I've seen the 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 videos where the blood cells are you know, doing what blood cells do, and then they clump, right? When you put the uh, the phone by your by your head, um, or even hold it in your hand, right? And and I broke my wrist when uh, just before coming to Orlando um, for the Holistic Lifestyle Conference, and um, it's healed. But when I put my phone in that hand, it hurts. Because it's yeah, but let me put that in two ways. I yeah. Think one, there is the the by there is an a very low electrical frequency, right? Electromagnetic mm -hmm. frequency that occurs that does affect affect the tissue. The data is not superb in controlled studies, but I happen to think it is harmful. So I think be careful mm -hmm. where you put. I would not put it against my body. And for young women, often they, when they go out, they may even put their, their cell phone in their bra. I would not recommend that. I, have, right. I believe in the precautionary principle. If there's doubt, <laughs> you know, take care of it. And so keep it away from your body. Use your cell phone on speaker or with earphones. And then at night, before you go to sleep, don't put it next to your pillow or anything like this. I think that's just being preventative and being smart. But there are many, you know, it is so interesting when you think of the problems that occur because people get the neck and shoulder pain. So let me first go back to the body and then I'm going to go how much our body posture, which is in change. It's huge. 
I mean, it's huge, but I just want to go back to the phone just for a brief moment. So, you know, my brother was a chiropractor. You wouldn't know this, but my brother was a chiropractor and um, uh, a bodybuilder. And he used to work on the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bears. He was really successful. And um, it was at the time where, you know, cell phones had been out for a short time. It was in 1997, 1997. And he, you know, like all of us, put the phone by our head. And, and, um, you know, he got a brain tumor, had a seizure on the beach and, you know, and, you know, he, he died. And the data, you're totally correct. The data shows at least it's, it's the probability is quite low to be really honest, but the data seems to show that if you hold the self, that the people who had these brick cell phones or cell phones, if they always used on the right side of their head, then they would tend to get the tumor on the side they used the cell phone. Correct. And there are some cases of young women who develop breast cancer in their twenties where they have put in their, because they have put the cell phone during the time of the storage in their bra. Well, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, um, I mean, there's ways to neutralize all that, you know, um, using other frequencies, minerals, and, you know, I'm a nutritionist. So I, I, look, I, I uh, focus on the energy and the nutrition and how the nutrition supports our energy fields. But, um, but yeah, but please go ahead, go on. No, that, the data is, uh, you know, you see this from men as well, that if you go back to testicular cancer, when people used to wear the cell phones in the holster on their belt, mm-hmm. then there is some <clears throat> statistical seeming increase increase where the, there's an increase in testicular cancer on the site, they have the cell phone. So rule one, I would say is whether you agree with this data or not, take the precautionary principle. Just assume, protect yourself and put the cell phone away from the body, turn it off when you don't need to. From an evolutionary perspective, even if the data isn't good, it would make sense to me. Because in evolution, change any change that is novel tends to interfere with the, the makes it makes it more difficult and we have never lived in a world where we have these sharp electrical transients which do affect the electrical activities of our body whether we like it or not it's new novelty tends to interfere with performance and all day dialogue, yeah. that's a great know, quote and novelty and, tends to interfere with performance yeah Yes, and it takes many years, many generations, finally, for us to maybe adapt. And this is only one generation. And so from evolution, we would not be have adapted or changed. We, we have not yet evolved to cope with that. Our technology is much too quick in that sense, these changes. I agree. And I now agree. we can look at one more part, which I think yes. is cool. Because we have both the adults and we have our young who have aches and pains. So let me go back on the experience, how quickly, what what happens at the computer. As you're sitting, we're gonna simulate this for your neck and shoulders, except using your leg. Because you're sitting, and as you're sitting, or if you sit in the backseat of a car, you can do it. If you're driving, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, right, because a lot of people are in their cars right now heading to work. Yeah, so at this moment, at least, what you would do is just lift your knee slightly up so your foot is off the ground. Okay. And just hold it there. Mm -hmm. Keep holding it. Keep, keep lifting, you know, that. so your heel is just an inch off the ground. 
you know, your thigh is unweighted, is no longer touching the, the edge of the chair. Keep holding it up and keep holding it up. You know, initially, when you start to hold it up, held yeah. it up. You and I'm holding my breath again. <laughs> yes. You're doing what almost everybody does. They hold their breath under stress and then they shallow breathe because they're tightening their stomach to protect themselves. And mm -hmm. now what you may notice is some achiness in your hip. Is that correct? The hip flexors. Yeah, I mean, it's how that is. Yeah. So now let your leg relax. Now what? Let the leg just go. Hit a drop. Let the knee go down. Let the yeah, yeah, shake yeah, yeah. it a bit. Let the, let the discomfort disappear. <clears throat> but why did this discomfort occur? You know, you only held this muscle, tightened these muscles for maybe less than a minute. But now think when you go walking, you use the same muscles. And you, you can walk, some people walk for hours, some people go shopping, and they have no pain unless there's some joint issues in their right. knee or ankle, but they have no pain. What's the difference? It's the same muscles. The oh, diff big difference, yeah. The difference is that in the first case, you held it tight and kept holding it tight, which inhibited the blood flow, didn't allow the waste bodies to go away, to reduce the lymph circulation. But when I walk, I swing my leg, I tighten it, I let it go, I tighten and let it go, which allows as you tighten, you know, you have activity, when you let it go, the blood flow can re be established, taking away the waste products. And that is how our muscles are really functioning. When we sit at the computer, we don't do that. We, we look at the screen. And as we look at the screen, our eyes converge, look at this near distance, and it stays like that for hours. We have no idea we're doing this. And then by the end of the day, we leave and we feel, we look out and our eyes are fuzzy. The world is fuzzy. <clears throat> it's hard to focus. We get, some people get eye irritations and neck irritation. And part of the reason is that if you go back and walk along the savannah, we looked outside. We looked because we're looking far distance. We look at the far distance. And when we look at the far distance, the eyes relax. That's called the eyes comfort. And then when I have to look nearby, I look nearby. So we alternate. And we have lost that spontaneous alternation. And you can see this now even in young children since the pandemic we saw almost a doubling of the myopia rates, nearsightedness. Uh, because children look at screens. As a little child, you look at a screen, your eyes converge. You know, we forget that the, our bodies model themselves as we use ourselves. How we use ourselves develops the structure. Then the structure limits our use. So as a young child, by only looking at a screen. Well, we're never, not using the muscle. We those muscles shorten, it literally changes the globe, the eye, mm -hmm. it now changes the focal length inside for near distance. No wonder we have this epidemic of, of nearsightedness. If you go to cultures historically, such as the Bedouins in the Negev desert, who are outside a lot in bright light and look near and far, their vision is not 2020, it's 2010. That means they can see at 20 feet, but you can normally see only at 10 feet. Wow. And we have lost that ability, almost that skill, because we have continued looking at the screen. If you go to Singapore, 
when you think of the houses being slightly smaller, children spend a lot of time on screens, playing games. And then when you look at the screen, you only look at the wall right behind the screen. You never see a far distance. You don't play sports outside as much. 82% by the time people are teenagers need to wear glasses for myopia, for nearsightedness. It's an epidemic. Now, when we go to our modern, our young students today, young people, you see another component. You have the physical complaints of the neck and shoulder, of the back, but we have posture as well. Remember, what the classical seat posture is our new culture. We're looking down on our cell phone, how many hours a day? It's shocking. Or we sit at the computer, we slouch, and then we have a harder time seeing, we go forward. Each time we slouch, we become more curved in our spine. When you do that, you do multiple things. One, you're changing your breathing pattern because no, you no longer can breathe easily. You don't know you do this. That's But basically when you slouch, when you're breathing, you can only breathe higher up in your chest. What does that mean? It means that previously, if you could be tall and erect and let your stomach get bigger when you inhale, let the stomach get smaller when you exhaled, that allows regeneration. It's almost like think of a little baby. When a little baby sits up, you know, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, they're sitting totally tall, and you see this big Buddha belly move in and out. Right, right, right. Or you know, one of my workarounds for this is, uh, and I only started this uh, last night, is uh, I joined a choir, right? Yes. So the phone, that's that's not out, right? And you're watching the choir director, so your head's not down. I mean, it's going to be down a little bit because you have to learn the music, but, um, you know, it, and you have to practice, you know, building your diaphragm. Right. Yes. And, and work but you have to do more than that. You have to change your clothing as well. Because if you are wearing tight clothing, which mm -hmm. many of us do, because my gosh, who would ever want to date us if our stomach is bubbling out, our self consciousness? I never worn tight clothing. Do you know that? Great. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if you want to just, I mean, even put it right now. I mean, I wouldn't say never. I mean, I have a, a, probably a couple of pictures, but I'm, I'm like the, even when I was like a bodybuilder benching 185, weighed 120 pounds, I'm wearing these big baggy overalls because like, yeah, I mean, that's just I, been my gig. Yeah. And remember many of the symptoms we have today, you could are similar to a disorder called neuroesthemia funny term, neuroesthemia, which has occurred with women in the late 1900s and early 1920s. Oh, I know in, but think of the, of the late 1900s. What did, we, what did they wore these what tight corsets? And when okay, you wear so, this... Eric, yes, when you, you wear this what tight, my mom did. So my mom had a bridal shop, right? And so we would get these, you know, I was helping her, and we would get these uh, brides together and put them in the dress. And yeah, I mean, and I'm like, how are you supposed to breathe in that? And now they've got the Spanx, right? So Spanx, they're holding you in tight. I'm like, that's not comfortable. That's like not comfortable on any level. And You're it's not totally right. Talk so, about the science. So go ahead. I'm sorry. But wait, no. When this area is held really tight, mm -hmm. remember the diaphragm 
is, is more than just breathing. It is a pump that allows the blood circulation to circulate around the abdomen and the lymph. So if there, if this diaphragm, when the diaphragm, when you inhale, you let your abdomen get bigger, like the baby, or your dog who's lying on the side, you see the stomach getting bigger. Right. That allow at that moment, the, the, the it allows the veins to fill, the lymph vessels to fill. And then as you exhale, you're applying a little pressure unknowingly to squeeze it back, you know, to squeeze the abdomen in a way that the diaphragm goes back up. That then squeezes the veins, it squeezes the lip, and it, it allows this really abdominal circulation. And what you see is that pe most people, or let's say many people who have gastrointestinal problems, GI distress, mm -hmm. that when they, that when they, if you observe them, they breathe mainly in their chest. There's almost no abdominal movement. In our study, we are just doing at San Francisco State, if, you know, where we have observed, and it's now in press, that you see young women who have menstrual cramps, then what you see is that if you teach them very slow breathing, this kind of effortless diaphragmatic breathing, they practice this before and during their menstrual period, we saw an 80% reduction in discomfort. Yes, easy peasy. I've taught this, okay? Not probably to the degree that you have, but the power of the breath. I'm going to go to um, commercial real quick, um, and we're going to come back. I would love for you to demonstrate the power of the breath. And um, when we have, you know, we have uh, people on, on uh, several platforms here, and which is why I'm looking to my left. Um, and I would love for people to uh, play in, in this space, right? Because this would be fun. I've had people call me, I'm driving, I'll just, you know, kind of plant this seed. I've been, I was on the uh, road driving to an appointment, a client calls me, I need your help real quick, you know, because um, I've got this excruciating pain, you know, and I can't be doing energy work while um, I'm driving, right? <laughs> like, because, you know, the eyes need to be closed, you know, I'm bringing in source energy, probably not doing that behind the wheel. So I started empowering my clients to breathe, right? And send the breath to the part of the area of the body that it needed to go to. And we'll leave it there. And Dr. Eric will have you uh, uh, share it when we come back from commercial. Okay. All right. I love this. Thank you. All right. So. Hi, I'm Jody Susan with Susan Essentials. I started Susan Essentials in 2015 because of a personal health journey. I was over-medicated and put on 19 different medications. And yes, I reversed all my chronic diseases using plant and energy-based healing. It was amazing. At Susan Essentials, we support both consumers and businesses. And we do that with helping your employees or yourself with a food as medicine mindset. How Susan Essentials supports businesses and consumers is we teach people about a food as medicine mindset. So we support people on how to support their own immune system, how to support their brain health, how to support their emotional well-being. And we do that all with plant and an energy-based healing.
the Female Solution Global Radio TV Show invites you to an invigorating conversation with our team of hosts Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. Start your week with Monday Morning Mindfulness with Zelda Speaks. Tuesdays, Self-Sell Care with Jody Susan. Wednesdays, Repairing Broken Families with Naima Latif and co-host Kareem Hamid. Thursdays, Soulful Solutions with Dr. Debbie Green. And Fridays, Health and Well-Being with Viata. Saturdays, tune in 12 noon to 2 p.m. Central Time. First Saturday, Success Strategies with Jana. Second Saturday, Wendy Williams Esquire on Relationships. Third Saturday, Move Around with Deborah. And fourth Saturday, Wisdom with Mama D. Join us Sundays, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time for Soul Purpose Healing with Beata. Call in and comment 515-605-9325. Press 1 to speak to the host and be a part of the solution. The Female Solution Global Radio TV Show invites you to an invigorating conversation. So apparently we had the loop on. I'm like, we don't need to see that again. But um, I just want to share with our listeners, please don't call into that number because blog talk is down. So, um, and I'm not sure if it's ever coming back up. It's been down for a few days. So, <laughs> um, so that's, that, that'd be an interesting topic. Um, so going back to the breath. So take it away. Tell us about the breath. So let me do it two parts. Mm -hmm. One, Keep in mind that posture is critical. If you just think of, you put your fingers right at the pubis, the body, you know, right on the bony part at the bottom of your abdomen and at, your, at the bottom of your ribs. Mm -hmm. And when you see that when you're sitting erect, there's much more distance between the two. If you mm -hmm. slouch and curl, it's much yep. smaller. So in a way that area in your abdomen is really constricted. It doesn't compress, but it just... It means there's no flexibility when a diaphragm tries to go down when you well, think about the garden hose, right? So you've got a garden hose and you're you're watering your plants, but you put a crink, you know. You got it, right? And 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 yeah, I, honey, I, I yeah, this is my life. So um, and so. So it doesn't go. It really it doesn't goes. Flow. The water doesn't flow when you put the when you put a right. kink in the hose. And I will add to what you're saying and give you back the um, the floor is that, you know, it, you know, the way I've been taught is that the body doesn't heal when the spine's not aligned. Right. So you're, I would I, I would say how we use ourselves affects our fun, our structure and our structure constraints how we can use ourselves because I don't want to make it that absolute, but I would say because some people are born with a curved spine or other, or things that they have accent, they can work their optimum. And you're totally right that you want to be tall and erect in a yeah. sense and without tension. Without like tension. And, I, and yeah, and I agree with you that, you know, we don't want to say if you're born with a crooked spine that you're, you know, doomed. You're not. I mean, I, I believe that our bodies are master healing machines. And so um, you can see that quote all over the Internet from me. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, assuming you don't have a pre, you know, a, con a, a, a condition that you're born with. Right. Um, your body just feels better, functions better. Um, and your brain uh, will uh, function better if you can keep your spine. Um, and if you can, without a subluxation, you know, yeah. yeah. And I would argue 
It's mm -hmm. not only the posture, it's also where you breathe and the rate of breathing. I can allegedly be tall, hold my stomach tight, almost like in military posture and breathe high up in my chest and get neck and shoulder pain. Or I can be tall and breathe very quickly and also mm -hmm. get in trouble. So it's not just that I'm only tall, there's a sense of peacefulness in that posture where I allow my body to breathe fairly slowly. And so if I think of breathing that way, then let me do it in two ways. I want to show how breathing can affect, how in literally a very short moment, breathing can affect your awareness and your mood. And so, which is also we describe in our book as an, a little practice because of what happens at the computer without knowing. Okay, uh, <clears throat> I like you to do is just breathe normally. Mm -hmm. And now I like you in a moment, don't do it yet. It's just each time you exhale, exhale about two thirds of the previous inhaled air. So when you exhale, instead of exhaling completely, you, you know, only exhale, let's say 60%. Exhale, then you exhale normally again. Yeah. And then you exhale again, 60%. Just start doing that. So each time you exhale, with each breath, exhale only about I don't like 60%. that. It doesn't feel good. Yeah, but just keep doing it for a moment. because Must I? <laughs> yeah, just for fun. Just we won't do it for a long time, but just practice for a moment doing it. To do it for just about, you know, we'll keep doing it. Each time you exhale, exhale only about 60%. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Okay. And if you, I think that's probably enough, you would say, I'm, yeah, I'm, like, I'm getting stressed. <laughs> yes. But many, but about a third to half the people experience is that when they breathe in this way, they get an increase in anxiety and, 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 and almost like their, their fuzziness, they, they become lightheaded. There are many different symptoms they have. The key yeah. is that when many people, when people looked at you, they probably would never know you breathe that way. This can be very subtle. So how we breathe affects not just our physical body, our emotions as well. Well, actually, it's funny because I, I, I pick up on people's breath all the time and, I, and I'm catching them holding their breath. I, I, I catch their heart rate changing and, um, and their breath changing. Like, and I'm like, are you okay? You know, because I, I pick, you know. I'm an intuitive. What can I tell you? You know, so, no, that so. is a very good point. What you're saying, it's absolutely true. And I'll do one more little practice, then we'll go and how can we teach the breathing? What I like, what I like you just to do as you're sitting here, don't do this while driving for a moment. At that moment, what I like you to do is keep your head straight ahead. I'm going to make a clap like this. And with each clap, I like you to look to the extreme right and then the next clap to the extreme left. So each okay. sound you hear the sound, look to the extreme right. And, and I'm clapping or you're clapping? I'll clap. Okay. I'll make the noise. You just react to the stimulus. Ready? Okay. Get set, go. No, just with your eyes only. Oh, my eyes only. I'm like, my neck's getting some exercise. <laughs> just with your eyes only. Okay. Are you holding your breath? Yes. And so what you just did is when you're vigilant, you hold your breath. So for practice, for at least an awareness practice, everybody, every time you hold your breath, it's useful if a tiger is attacking you before it attacks you because you freeze. And you, however, but you're not, you know, your brain's not getting air. You basically, in a very simplistic way, you're totally right. You're you're getting into trouble. So use the cue of stopping breathing, of breath holding to say, oops, let me breathe again. 
Now, how do you breathe? That's probably the next question. What can you do? There are many ways of doing it. The mm -hmm. pattern I would recommend is that you sort of inhale, that you focus first on exhaling. And exhaling means that you think in a certain way that your stomach is like a big balloon. That's where your lungs would be, metaphorically. So, mm -hmm. but, so let, your, let the air go in for a moment. Let your stomach be as big as possible in that sense. Mm -hmm. Now, as you exhale, let the stomach get smaller. Sometimes in the beginning, it's useful to make a very soft sound like the air just flows very gently out, very so soft almost. And if you held a dandelion, you know, all the little fuzzy, it wouldn't, they wouldn't leave. Normally when they go to the dandelion, we blow very fast. No, I go so soft and I do this. And after my stomach has gotten smaller, I make, I still stay tall. I let the stomach re-get bigger again, as if I feel it loosening. I can only really feel my pelvic floor relaxing. I feel my hips. And then I repeat the next exhalation. And if I think of a timing sequence, I would inhale to the count of three or four, make an easy transition, and then very gently let the air flow out slowly. I'm going to go sleep. <laughs> feel very relaxed. Yes, and now you do this a few times, or and the key is you can do this the moment something happens at that moment, gently exhale, let yourself get tall. The key is when we give a defense reaction, we tend to protect ourselves, we mm -hmm. curl up and tighten. So, the first thing you want to do is make yourself tall and then breathe. And if you want to learn how to breathe more like this, there are many strategies. So, let me give one or two more. The point you, Jody, you pointed out already is that breathing and heart rate are often linked. So, and people, and you can just feel that, you know, it's easier yeah. if people are younger, but put your fingers against the carotid artery in your neck or on your radial pulse and feel your own pulse. Yeah, so the mean, neck is very easy. But I, just, I would love for people just to think about just for a minute, like, before we go into all of that, I want people to uh, really understand because I, I sense that um, we could spend a few more minutes on the feeling, right? Because when you're holding your breath and when you're not, uh, like if you get in an argument with someone and you'll, you'll hold your breath because you're not feeling your feelings, right? And so you don't want to be quashing yourself um, and, and stop, and, and you're doing this on autopilot, right? And so the autopilot part, I mean, it's getting your, it's, you know, meditating, using sound frequency. There's a lot of ways to calm the brain chatter. Um, and, but what I'm trying to say is that it's difficult to be the best version of you when you are holding back, right? And when you're holding your breath, uh, it's such, as Dr. Erica is saying, it's a stressful situation. It's a stress state for the body. Um, it's hard on your body. And I would also go into the fact that it's energetically very difficult on your body. And it sets a mindset that... Because it's almost like you're putting your body on pause, right? And 
you you really want to you want to you want to be heard so stop holding your breath right you can't speak if you're holding your breath um you want to be seen and what i'm hearing is that there's an opportunity to shift the mindset about how we relate with others in the world and how not only with others, but situations, the technology, of course, right? Because this is about tech stress. But I would assert that we learned all this prior to technology because for centuries, we've been quashing ourselves and not allowing ourselves to be heard, seen, you know, or be seen, but not heard, right? And... um. I'm, I, I'm actually getting a download that this is a learned response, like learned helplessness. Like, yeah. I would say from in many cases, we have this, the natural response of the body when under danger, we tighten up, we hold to protect ourselves. That is automatic. We can now interrupt that by reestablishing breathing. The moment we give this fear response or whatever it is, we almost captured by our amygdala. And then, depending if we can identify that before it escalates too much. You know, I can say, gosh, I'm upset. I feel lonely and share that. That helps the communication. You can also be positive. The challenge is that if you get captured too much, then it's, you really lose that sense of awareness. And my limited experience says, if you're really captured when you get really upset, at that moment, especially if you're in a discussion with people, it's very hard to get quiet at that moment very quickly. The easiest thing to do at that moment is complete that fight-flight alarm reaction. So what you do is you go to the bathroom or you leave the room for a moment called timeout. You run up and down the stairs so you complete the whole metabolic state. You know, you do some very strong physical activity. And then once that is quiet, then go back then you can breathe much easier. Then you can do your meditative concepts much easier. Oh, I fully agree, especially stepping out of the room for a moment, you know, go to the bathroom. And if the bathroom's on the same floor, go to the bathroom on the upper floor, right? Because like Dr. Erica is saying, is that you want to get that activity, get that energy out because um, that energy in your body is being housed. Um, you know, actually I am... Yeah, actually, I'm just going to show you all something real quick here to see if I can find that. I can. Give me one second. Yeah. So we um, we uh, have been, we, we've often shared on this show about, I think it's Dr. Masuro Emoto. He talks about the um, how our energy you know, gratitude, lack of gratitude impacts um, water. And of course, our bodies are 70% water, so are our brains. And so um, this, these are my cells <laughs> that I had looked at yesterday. And you can see it's cut, there's a butterfly here, the transformation specialist that I am. But also when you, and, and someone saw a dog, but then when we put it all together, it's kind of like the dragon. We think about Dr. Daniel Amen's, you know, dragons, right? And, the, and it's actually what these cells are, 
are um, back, um, excuse me, they're parasites and fungi and they created their own colony and a wall around that colony so that they could be protected and not destroyed. Of course, I destroyed them. But uh, <laughs> um, the thing is, is that this is, this is not pleasant. This is not a pleasant cell. And, um, and there are lots of other cells that are, are, that were destroyed, or you see this one down here with the yellow, that's more parasites. And what I want to say is that when you're holding your breath, so let me bring this back to the breath. Okay. It causes stress on your body. Well, okay. let me say it this way. That when you, I, for most, most of the time, there's always an appropriate way to hold your breath. If you want, you know, breath holding can be useful if you want to stabilize your arm movements. If you want to hear better, then you hold your breath because mm -hmm. the moment you breathe, there's internal sounds going up to your station tube. So, but in most cases in our modern world, we hold our breath often with a kind of part of the alarm reaction that is activating. The key is not that we react always. The key is we don't come back and regenerate. So, there, you know, we react too many times. In so you're looking for people to respond, not react. Yes. We, we and or we want to just say, wait, it's not necessary to give this alarm reaction. I want to give my to regenerate. It's no different than working at the computer. I, I'm working. My shoulders are up the whole time. Mm -hmm. I just don't let him go. If I raise my shoulders and let him go, then there's probably much less of a problem. If I look at the screen for a moment or I look at my eyes to the right here, if I look to the right and maybe I tighten my neck muscles, I wouldn't be aware of it. But if I keep looking like this in this crooked position, then I get this static tension, then I get troubles. So it's really also our thought, you know, this applies to our thoughts as well. If you, if we get upset with someone, it isn't that we get upset at that moment. That you could say the first reaction is almost biological. You re-react. Thereafter, we self-amplify it. It isn't that I react to something, then I start thinking about it, I start ruminating about it. And each time I do that, I reactivate my body. And so the real question is, what can people do about that? And in our experience, one of the best ways to do this first is step one, is change your body posture. Sit up. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and I want to really see what this is doing, though. Like, the, the, the science, the, the visual science, because right now, um, and this is kind of a hard one to look at. Let me give it a better. See, I want people to be able to see that how you feel, um, let me cancel that, sh can sh shows up biologically um, in your body. So it's, this is what he's saying is so critically important, but I just want to give people a visual. So here's another one. Um Oh, that one, it's a little bit better. It's not perfect. But you can see these different cells. This is uh, of water, right? Which, again, our body's mostly water. So if you have stress on your body, and your body's mostly water, right? It's not going to, you know, it's not going to show up so good. And so I encourage you to listen to Dr. Eric with a, an ear that allows you to, uh, and I know this is probably not part of your book, but I, I want to just take it to another level 
that listen to this, that it's not just discomfort. You're actually changing yourselves. You, you, by definition, we are a system. So yes. we are, when we react, our, it isn't just our heartbeat goes up. We change our breathing. We change our digestion. Our whole system is changed. The key is what can you do when you, how one, how can you be aware? And so for that, there are a couple of ways. We don't know. We, we slouch, for example. We're, you know, we sit at our set. We have no idea. And in our research, we have clearly shown that, you know, you can wear a little biofeedback device called an upright go to. You put it on your neck. With your cell phone, notice the use of technology at the, paradoxically at the same time, you calibrate. And now every time you slouch, it vibrates. So now that can help you become aware, I'm slouching. And now you can say, why do I slouch? Well, I slouch because I was looking at the screen. Maybe I need glasses. I slouched because I felt hopeless. I had negative thoughts, the workload. I, I, I started to sag underneath the workload. I slouched because I was tired. Whatever the reasons were, you identify. And then you interrupt that. You move, you sit up, and go tall. That is the most useful device one can get. It's called the upright go-to. And the second one we use is... And how expensive is that device? Well, excuse me? How, expensive, how expensive is that device? It's about $80. I, I have no investment in it, by the way. And that's okay if you do. You're allowed to. <laughs> I mean, I call my university professor. I, we have done research with it, and we have shown that when people use that, our students. That and, and can you spell? Can you say the name of that device again, so I can show people? Sure, it's upright. U P R I G H T. Next word is go G O, and then number two, upright. So let me show people what this is. Um, okay, so again, we're going to just be on Amazon here for a minute. So um, let's so because I want people to be able to come away. Um, oops. Yeah, that's the device. That's the device. You just had it correctly. Yeah, I want to uh, give them the larger version. I just grabbed the wrong screen so that they can see a little better. Um, and I'll do one other app which was useful for people. Yeah, so it's yeah, like so like that. It's like so eighty bucks. You see it, the little app, the, the device on the person's spine. Now you after calibration, there's some skill in learning the calibration, and then you collapse when you slouch. You can set the timer. There's a clock, you know, the delay. Make the delay five seconds, not mm -hmm. fifteen. It will give you a signal, and that will remind you to sit up. And I think yeah, I mean I've also used uh, and I forget the name of it. Um, it's a, it's like a pair of bands, right? And they, they hook into your shoulders. And when I worked for this chiropractic, uh, clinic, um, I used to wear it around my shoulders cause it kept my shoulders back. Right. It's kept me in good posture. I, I need to find it actually. To me, the, the, this is the, I, that can be useful. And there's very good data that if you tape people up in the up posture, that in fact, they, you know, if you take people who are depressed, who are collapsed, you tape them up in a controlled study where they're in the up posture compared to the people who are taped in their normal posture. So it's like wearing this kind of device metaphor, mm -hmm. except now they don't know it. Uh, that after about 20 minutes, their mood changes, there are significant changes that occur. 
The trouble if, it, if that approaches, from my perspective, is that, in fact, your muscles get almost more weakened even more in some ways because this, the outside device does it for you. And the key with the with this self-care approach and awareness, you can help identify what were the thoughts, what were the situations that triggered this response. So now you have the option to make a change, both in posture and thoughts, emotions, situations. And the next one is how do you do and how do you do breathing? And mm -hmm. I would recommend that there are many ways of doing it. There are many apps, and an app we, where I mean I, we work with is one called Flow MD, F L O W M D. Flow MD, and that is an app on your cell phone. You can, and it does two things. You can put the app in the cell phone in front of you. It uses the camera to identify your breathing pattern, and then guides you. Sorry. Flow MD, F L O W M D. So let me find that because I like that idea. And it also allows you to take your pulse and measure that as coaching. And then there are instructions how to breathe. It is just, it is just coming out. So it's a very new way it's of doing it. It's called Flow MD. I'm looking for, I, I found it, but it says uh, Flow Management Devices. That's the right one. Uh, let me look at how you, you, are you on your cell phone or? I am on here. Uh, so let me just share the screen. It, I mean, is, it is. Let's take a look. Flow MD. I think it's a Flow MD. No, that is not the one. <laughs> that, is, that is something different. Okay. Yeah. That's me, right, that baby. is not the one. Let me see. If ah, I can... I'm good now. I'm like, yeah, that I have work. to go to my cell phone for Flow MD for a moment. It is the app on your cell phone would be called Flow MD. Okay. So let me see that. Uh, I, I have not, I never go to my, you know, because it's an app on a cell phone, so I don't ever think about it, but I can look for it as well. Yeah, I'd like for people to know what it is. Uh, um, do look at the link for. So if I, oh, here, go like this. So flow MD app. Oops. Yes, it's a flow MD app. Hmm. Yes, that's on the on the app. It's called Flow MD. Okay. Um, oh, I found it. Okay. So this one right here. Is that it? Yes, correct. Awesome. And then if you put if you adjust the, the cell phone in front of you, it it will monitor. It will putting your hand on your stomach. Then it will identify your hand is on your stomach. And it can see them, it measures the movement, the displacement. And then it also coaches you how to do this. Interesting. And then the other part it does, it allows you to monitor your heart rate by putting, oh. that's the one. Yeah, so I just want people to see this. So, oh, Philip's calling me. <laughs> Hi, Philip. <laughs> he hung up real quick. I think he heard. <laughs> so he, he actually may have a contribution to this. Um, Hold on a second. That's why he's calling. Because people usually call in on this show. Um, let me just text him because uh, I'll let him just call in on this. We uh, um, Hold on. 
did you want to contribute to the show? I can bring you on. Okay. Um, so, but the, uh, oh, lost it. That's weird. But anyway, so it, it, I want people to make sure that they know that they can. Okay, the website that. for this, if uh -huh. you're intrigued, is flowmd.co. Yeah. Flowmd.co. Okay. Uh, so interesting. Well, I like that they have the sky on there. Is that right? Is that? Okay, here we go. Oh, they want you to use this on your mobile phone. That's probably, it's a mobile phone. It's a mobile phone app. Okay. So let me just... But at least it is a useful device called FlowMD app. It's the app on your cell phone. And it does two things, like I said. It'll, there's information. <clears throat> it will guide you to breathe slower. There will be background information. Tell more about breathing. Yeah, and so I'll just show people. This is what you're referring to. Is that right? Yes, correct. Okay. All right. So um, this will help you with your flow of your breathing. Uh, so Raj says, and let me just not block you. Hold on. Without question... The breath is connected to our body and thoughts. Have you explored how breath work can be used to enter into altered states? Also, your thoughts on the Wim Hof method. Great question, Raj. Well, it's a very good question. There are many people that have used breath to altered states. It's the traditional way, one of the traditional ways, pre-psychedelics, <coughs> uh, to do that. And often... You know, Stanislav Croft did is like a kind of hyperventilation. They do this. Yogis do that by the very slow breathing. So breath is the mind, body, spirit connection. You think of spirit as you think of the terminology. So it's always been linked in Western science as a group. We have not looked at that that much in terms of the work of Wim Hof. He breathes, teaches different kinds of breathing patterns, which suggests, at least when he does it, that it can also activate your immune system. At least he has demonstrated in the laboratory. It's more than that because it isn't just breathing. It's also your mental attitude with it. We're not separate. So we have to keep in mind Wim Hof also has a mental focus when he does the practices. So it's not just a all these are not just mechanical. So when I keep thinking about it for people, when you're breathing, <clears throat> you know, when you're trying to breathe, you can breathe mechanically. That's one way. It's somewhat helpful. It works well. But take include an attitude. If you think of the work of heart math, then you think of a positive, you know, loving experience. If you think of he of yourself, and when you think of breathing slowly, let's say about six breaths a minute where you allow the air to come in, you exhale and then almost pause and have a trust as you exhale. Imagine the air to flow like a streaming gently down your arms, gently out your legs as if you're channeled for a healing energy. And if you do that, notice you're occupying both your brain, the, the, your thoughts, 
and body. And for those who find that challenging, a very easy way to do that in our research was to do toning at the same time or singing. So if you study people who sing Ave Maria, <clears throat> and I'm going to cough and clean my throat, but if you do Ave Maria, Ave Maria, if you think of that, that's about a 10-second phrase. And when you repeat something like that, your brain is not thinking of anything except of the Ave Maria. You're breathing about six breaths a minute, and you see this high heart rate variability, which means on the inhalation, your heart rate speeds up, which you could say is, is activation. It's really our withdrawal of parasympathetic activity. And then as you exhale in the sound, your heart rate slows down. That pattern is a pattern of health. You can do that well, easily. So hold on. So, you know, last night, you know, I, I, I hadn't sang since 1981 after my choir director died. And um, I didn't even realize it. Like I just stopped singing. Right. And uh, it re got activated last year uh, in the fall when I saw the Tibetan monks and they're, you know, I, yeah, they're beautiful sound. Um, just re, you know, reignited my soul. And all of a sudden I wanted to sing again. You know, it's just a gift from God and, and a gift from them. Right. <laughs> and so I uh, started singing and last night I joined a choir and you really have to, and I'm not good at this. It's going to take practice because it's been decades, but you have to control your breath. Yes. You And it's people, it's not easy. And I suggest that if you like singing, join a choir, uh, do karaoke, uh, do something because you can actually heal your body with humming. I mean, but the key, I think, of that is that you need to learn to also diaphragmatic breathing. So many people, you could say, almost for fear or because they had abdominal operations where they learned not to breathe in that area or use that area for breathing. So you have to also learn to let that go because in some sense, when you inhale, you want to be tall, let the whole abdomen expand and then do it. And it's probably a very easy way that combines both the singing and maybe the Tibetan model. And this is one of the studies we did, in fact, and we compared toning, which is a making of a sound I'll guide the audience through, and versus mindfulness, that if you do toning, you get quicker quiet inside, you, you get better heart rate variability. Because And so what is toning? It's just simply making one of the classical sounds like ohm. You can just do this. So if you're oh. sitting here, you go, oh. You're good. And again, then you let the air come back in. Oh, keep being tall. It's not at the end of the exhalation. You compress your chest. The stomach goes in. Oh, and you just keep doing that. And you can feel the vibration in your abdomen, in your body. You keep doing this and do this for 10 minutes very slowly. Let the sound just get longer and longer. And I almost promise you, you feel better. Your brain will be quieter. You're more at peace. And we have done this published studies. And if you're intrigued, look at our blog, pepperperspective.com. And, and I will show that. I'm looking for the video. Um, and it's, I'm not going to show the video. I'm just going to. It's a video by Madhu Aziani, 
who guides well, us. Through. One I'm going to sh list, uh, show is of, um, and it's interesting, I, I don't seem to have it easily, readily available, but it's of those Tibetan monks. Uh, this, hold on. No, that's me recording the rain because <laughs> the rain is soothing and healing. While yeah, I'm looking at this, is, is uh, Rajai, did we answer your question or do you have a follow-up question to that? Um, just make sure that we've done that and then make sure that people also know how to uh, connect with you. And then we should also go to commercial real quick here before uh, our time ends. So, um, yeah, let me just do a quick commercial. And then, Raj, while we're a commercial, go ahead and uh, let us know if we've answered your question. If there's a follow-up question to that, we'll bring you back and I'll do all that real quick. So, oops. Do this, like that, and brand, and... For the Place of Peace pop-up pop from Susan Essentials, you are able to increase productivity, mental acuity, leaving you with higher energy and peace in just 20 minutes. We pop up at our office or yours. Hi, I'm Jody Susan with Susan Essentials. I started Susan Essentials in 2015 because of a personal health journey. I was over-medicated and put on 19 different medications. And yes, I reversed all my chronic diseases using plant and energy-based healing. It was amazing. At Tucson Essentials, we support both consumers and businesses. And we do that with helping your employees or yourself with a food as medicine mindset. How Susan Essential supports businesses and consumers is we teach people about a food as medicine mindset. So we support people on how to support their own immune system, how to support their brain health, how to support their emotional well-being. And we do that all with plant and an energy-based healing. So thank you. We are back. And I just want to uh, bring uh, Teddy June's comment. She says the diaphragm breath is life. Um, you know, I couldn't agree more. And then I did find my videos. I'm not going to show them, but I'll play like, you know, a few seconds. Um, so y'all can hear the power of this sound. Um, or not, maybe it's not going to, oh, well, here it goes. Can you hear that? Okay. I think the challenge of that is one, if you listen to people, mm -hmm. what yeah. is really great, that can help you by listening to the sound. The other part is there's a distinction also by doing it yourself. And that's okay. why I think of toning as a strategy, which is really useful because it's fairly easy to do. You can do it in the shower. You know, if you're ashamed of yourself that other people hear you, you go in nature, or you can even just hum. Just humming, but make each hum a long time. So it's like, mm, because ideally humming, also you feel the vibrational quality again. You're doing something. And when you're doing that, you're interrupting your own ruminations. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the advantage. So we found, found at least in the beginning, if you have a noisy mind or if you feel stressed, do the following. 
One, the moment you're stressed, change your posture. Because initially when you're stressed, we may give the defense reaction. Change your posture. Sit up and look up. Mm-hmm. That is critical. And that method is really described well in our book. And then once you're sitting up and looking up, then do the humming, then change the language, then start looking at the problem from a different perspective. What is, and it's so much easier to do it when you look up. You don't quite have to look all the way up. You just look above the horizon. It gives you a new picture, a new view of the problem. And it, and the change in posture really changes your body. It interrupts the patterns of defense. So I highly recommend, you know, and do this each time. The moment you react, use the reaction as the trigger to say, sit up, take one or two lower breaths. And only after you've done those, change, start thinking of your problem. Take time. It's like a mini timeout. When you do this many times, it's remarkable how much more peaceful you can feel. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, because we're constantly going this way, you want to, I think what you're suggesting is doing the opposite to help balance out the body, right? The other way to say it is unknowingly, we now live in a culture where we're almost all slouched by looking at our cell phones. We don't know. Yeah, a forward head carriage is a thing, right? You know, tech neck. And then we have this response uh, from Rajai Kaldani. He says, very good. He goes, I would love to know, if you would be interested in exploring that more in your work, the breath is spirit. And what methods would you recommend for that purpose? I think breath is traditionally breath has always included the term spirit. It's the, it is the marker between life and death. Historically. I think if you go to the, whether it's yogic literature, any traditional literature, spiritual literature, breathing is a significant piece. I would say for ourselves, combine breathing, learn this effortless, I call it effortless breathing, because really we should not even be aware of breathing. When people have problems, then they can't get enough air in. Often they don't exhale enough initially. You can train people and teach them to breathe differently. But remember, if you start breathing quietly and peacefully, this slower pattern, then your abdomen relaxed. It's sometimes even possible that past traumatic events or thoughts come to the surface because mm-hmm. our body, that sense holds and memories. And now you're letting these go. That is healthy and normal. And then breathe, learn to breathe lower without hyperventilating. That means because sometimes when people start breathing, they do it, they do it slow, but they do very, very big breaths and they hyperventilate. And that means that the quickest way to know it, that you're doing it, I would say in the right directions. If you're breathing peacefully, slowly, you may know, especially when you can think of the air flowing down your arms, get a sense of streaming. You know, I know air goes out of your mouth, but it's your passive attention that goes down your arms and legs. That you find your hands. And so when you're breathing, your hands start warming up. You're doing the right thing. And then combine that by using imagery and visualization. Imagine being in a peaceful place. Or think of a religious sense, an ener- healing energy going through you, or being connected to something universal. Whatever is your religious or spiritual background, bring that in, but evoke a sense of peace. 
and that will slowly settle in with you. And then during the day when you have to work with people, or you don't have to, you will work with people. Sometimes we have people to who we get really irritated. You know, they trigger that. We already anticipate. At that moment, we think of them, stop. Take a gentle breath. And as you exhale, send goodwill to them, almost metaphorically. Use your hands like a mudra. Send them goodwill before you even see them. When you wake up in the morning and you already say, oh, I got to. At that moment, before the thought takes reality, pause. Take a gentle breath, put your hands on your heart, and then just send goodwill like an ocean wave going over that person. And if you do that for three months, it's remarkable how the relationship may change. Well, um, I know that it does work. You know, I've, I've used that uh, similar approach in my life, right, with people that I really wanted to bring back and a family member, right? So uh, you, and it shifted like completely and talked to that person in years. And, and now we're in relationship and a good one and healthy. Well, we forget basically that unknowingly, whether it's energetic, I, it can be, it's energetic, but, or you call it nonverbal cues, but whatever it is that energetic sense, we are contagious. Our emotions and perspectives are to a large extent contagious. If I'm upset, the other more likely it will evoke the upsetness in the other person, the irritability. Mm -hmm. If I'm caring, I see the goodness in the other person and I, I focus on that more, I, that allows that to, to come for both of us. And we live in a world where we need to spend more time seeing the goodness in other people and sending goodwill than all the critique we do. Well, and that's really so, so wise, right, Dr. Eric? So, um, we are programmed to think that we all have to be the same, right? And certainly that became heightened over the last few years, that we all have to be the same. We all have to be treat our bodies the same. We have to treat each other the same and six feet apart, right? And really it was destructive in, in a myriad of ways, but... I say, you know, when I when I was disabled, um, that started in 2013, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and you know, the Western medical community could not. Of course, the Eastern world did very easily, and um, I just did the polar opposite of everything I was doing. Right, I got rid of the toxic food. Uh, the Clorox bleach which impacts your breath, right? It attacks your lungs. And so um, I think that if this inspires you to do, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm just saying that, you know, if what you're doing isn't working, do something different. Right? Yes. Do, and do now it. if I, I totally agree, but now let me go back to tech stress for a moment for young children, because mm -hmm. what is so in our young people, Mm -hmm. Because we tend to think that the pandemic is the big cause of many of the problems. And there, the data is really overwhelming that there's a massive increase. It's shocking in terms of, you know, mental health issues, you know, mm -hmm. with, in children. It just, it just is. It just, you know, and if you look at the data since that we had an 
almost a doubling of anxiety and severe depression in young people. The key, I think, is to remember that that was not due to the pandemic. No, no, the pandemic had a blessing. The pandemic escalated that process. And if yeah, the blessing was to show us, don't you think? I mean, if we have to look for a silver lining. Yes, it, we, got, we, got, we got such a, a big increase that it made it more visible. And there are at least, but let me look at, think of the data. If you look at the data from 2008 to, to 2020, that's before the pandemic, what you see is that the mental health trends for young people experiencing serious physical distress in the past month had literally doubled during that time period. That's pre-pandemic. So what you're talking here about, I would say, are social media natives or cell phone natives mm -hmm. in, a, in a way. And you can see that the, that's the, the group between 18 and 24. If you look at a group of people who are a bit older, between 24 and 29 during that time period, they also get an increase by about 40%. While the older people, they had no change in either mental. There are really multiple ill categories. That's major depressions, suicidal thoughts, outcomes, thoughts, and attempts. You see, they are all the biggest change are the young people. And that is partly, I, I, from my perspective, the, the media or the, the, the use of their social media, cell phones, and-, and I'm with you 150%. I mean, my tagline for my business is emotional healing, toxic-free living. And the toxins, you know, uh, you know, uh, toxins, traumas, thoughts, right? And what you're referring to here are these, uh, well, micro and macro traumas, right? That are mm -hmm. happening to the body. And it impacts our emotional well-being. So I completely align with what you're saying. And I hope that people, uh, I, I, I know that my people get you, right? <laughs> no, but look at it. But it's even more insidious than that. Think uh -huh. about little mothers and babies. Oh. I love, now I go mothers, caretakers, fathers. You know, historically, when a baby is, baby wants to make social connections. It's reaching out. It's wanting attention. And now what we do is when the baby's reaching out, we're on our cell phone. I go to the park and see so many of the people walking, pushing the carriage, not attending to the child, but looking at their phone. Or at dinner time, there's nothing easier than parking a child in front of television, front of a screen, giving them a cell phone, even a little baby of a year old, a tablet to entertain them so you can be at peace. But we are breaking that nurturing bond that's critical for human development. And you don't even want to get me started. Yes. But, I, but if anybody's interested, there's a famous study called the still face experiment. I, well, so I, can I bring it up? Because sure. Michelle Kukla, who is my doctor, who helped me reclaim my health. I was praying that you were going to talk about that just now. And Thank you, because I couldn't remember the name of it. So I'm going to, can I show it? The still face? Oh, or, yeah. The still so face experiment is, is the most powerful. One of the studies done at, at Tufts University. Yeah. So I have it right here. It's two minutes. I think Great. this is huge. And I'm going to show this. I share this with people. And thank you. Thank you. So let me um, just prepare the screen here for a moment. And... Uh, 
We'll pull this off and I'll share a screen. Uh-huh. And then I just need to go back here. Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions Love and this. the reactivity yeah. and the social interaction that they get from that'll be gone to moment two. Is something that we started studying thirty three years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. And she gives a greeting to the baby, the baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She pulls the mother looking where she is. Baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on. Why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions. They turn away. They feel the stress of it. They actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happened, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good is no reparation and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. So um, let me just stop that. So well, let me, can I make a comment on this? Please, please take it away. Yeah. So that is really what happens implicitly in us babies and young children develop because it's, we need to develop that communicational process that socialization in some ways and otherwise we develop this kind of learned helplessness possibly increasing the odds of attention deficit or on many of the other illnesses which we see potentially but i want to make a point that this is not just we tend to quickly blame on and blame the parents and i would argue we need to blame the culture or our in that sense our government or healthcare system what happens for women when they give after birth Instead of giving them a year off for postnatal care and to be with the baby, they have to go right back to work. 
in a week. That, so that is, yes, it's economical. We don't have to pay much. However, in our federal government and state government and our insurance policies, it's the wrong approach. Yeah, After birth, you want to have the, have the woman have the opportunity to be with the child for at least a year. Because we can, that is expensive, but we can pay the expenses not at the beginning, or we can pay many more expenses as the, these children grow up as adults. And I would say we need to divide social, you know, it takes a village. And so, so yeah, it takes a village for this child. So I have our executive producer, Naima Latif on Podbean, and she has a question for you. And I want to make sure that, uh, Naima, can you just speak up so we make sure you can be heard? Okay. Yeah, can you hear her okay, Eric? Yes, okay. I, can. I just wanted to test that first. So, um, awesome. Go ahead and ask your question. I see a lot of parents that stick their children in front of the television set and they assume because it's, you know, an interactive screen that that somehow is the same thing as interacting with the child. But with a, a TV screen, which basically can't talk back to you, uh, be kind of the same, have the same effect of, as the child being ignored because they're they're looking at something that isn't interactive, and they're just stuck there with no uh, oh, back and forth stimulation. So would it have that same as effect emotionally for a child of feeling abandoned or feeling like they're not being responded to? Let me put it in that I think it's a very good question and a very challenging one in a way because we can't even do a study in the United States because everybody, almost everybody has put kids in front of TV or, you know, and if you're an older generation, it was the Mickey Mouse Club or whatever. Uh, I happen to agree, and but there's a, for multiple reasons. One, early childhood is a period to develop hand-eye motor coordination and body movement. You need to be physically fit. The data is overwhelming. The more physical motor activity you do, the more physically you have been active, more likely your health will be much better yeah. in old age. That's hard to believe. The data is there from the Swedish studies. Oh, I believe it all day long. I mean, I'm two things. One, I'm seeing, uh, and the last time I saw was at, a, at the Orlando conference because I don't really see people, uh, kids in baby carriages just because my friends are older, but, um, but this woman what, uh, had a huge iPad with her infant in the baby carriage. And I was like, do you understand what you're doing? Um, she was not well-received of course. And then, um, well, you see, it's natural that it works because remember from the evolutionary perspective, we need to react to external stimuli. What is the screen? It is a moving stimuli, which evokes that natural adaptive behavior that allowed the, adult, the, the human being to survive for many years. The child reacts to it. But what, what is the difference between learning that? Think of impulse control problems. Think of attention. Mm -hmm. Our attentional ability has changed in the last 10 years from being able to attend to something for 150 seconds to 44 seconds. How come? Well, if I... If I am a good want to be a good student, then I need to be able to direct my own attention at something, which comes from the inside going out. What does the screen do? What does television do? You sit passively, and now 
this sticker. Rapid changes evoke your attention. So the screen activates your attention, not you activating your attention. The second part, it really- Are you the dog or are you the tail of the dog? You are now correct. And then the other part is it may even hinder your own creativity in a way, because when you, our human history is that we had oral traditions. You would sit around, people would tell stories, and then you could visualize unknowingly, you could see the story, you're, create, you're creating your creative process to those words. The analogy would be reading, where people read to you, and when you read a book, you create a story. But what does television do? What do screens do? It creates the visual story so you don't have to do anything. And remember, in our evolutionary past, everything we saw is real. So we have no mechanisms in our brain to really say that what we see on the screen is not real. You know, and this is, the, this is in fact the reality because if you look at, go to a horror movie, watch a horror screen or whatever, and most people, not everybody, it's always, you know, but 90% of the people, when they leave the movie, or they have, and now they walk outside and they hear footsteps behind them, it evokes all the terror which was triggered in the movie. Well, if it was just a movie and had no reality, it should not carry over in your life. Well, so, it's interesting because as a child, I used to get very scared. What, Like, that was me, right? And now I can watch like a, a Jurassic Park or whatever those movies are. And I don't watch movies too often. But when I do, I'm kind of in a um, different mindset. Yes. And I'm laughing at it going, well, that's not real. That's not real. That's not real. That's not real. And so I'm non-responsive to it. Like I finally made the distinction between reality and non-reality. And, but it took years. I'm, I'm going to be 60. It took years. <laughs> so and now going back to children, I would say there, there are three, there are two parts. One, they, they get developed sitting disease because that's all you do in front of the screen. Right. Two, you get the blue light at night that, if, that affects your biological rhythms. Three, your body does, you're, you're not getting this cognitive development or social development where you're reactive. Four, you become a passive participant. And when actions happen, you don't have to do anything. So right. Learn helplessness. Yeah. Correct. And so, so I ask you though about these kids, though, when they're like, and so just keep carrying on because I love what you're saying. I've just got blah, all these questions. So when there's a, a kid who's like four years old and the parent still has him in a stroller, you know, what's your take on that? Well, my sense is kids should be playing in, in, on the ground. They should be crawling. They should be jumping. They should be climbing trees. They should be interacting, and depending on which age group, with other children to work out their social net connections. If you look at young teenage boys, technically, or boys, they may argue hours, used to argue hours with each other about the rules of the game. And then, it, but it's a way by which you learn to negotiate and get feedback. You, now we live in a world of asynchronous communication. That means I can tweet horrible things, but I don't have to see the, your emotional reaction. I don't see it because it's a tweet. And But if I said the same to your face, then all of a sudden I would see you and I would react to your response. 
And so we really have these extreme qualities that are occurring. So from my perspective, children do much better if they have experience in nature. And there's a whole part called the last child in the woods, as, you know, where basically children who, who, who even those who are hyperactive, if they start playing in the woods, in the nature, their hyperactivity often decreases significantly or their ADHD. And we know with children in school even, if you let them first exercise and then have lunch, the lunchroom is much quieter than if you have lunch and then exercise. And, you know, and for young children, especially boys, movement is critical. They need to do, but movement ought to be play. It is exploration. And we tend to do that less and less as we think we can only do explorations on the screen. However, what you see on the screen is not what reality is about. Reality is you interacting with the actual person, with the actual world around you. And that part is lost. But it takes a village to do that. And it's, I, as a parent, understand how difficult it is when, you have to, when you're working full time, you need to take care of your children. But I see the disasters at, at my university at times. So many of the young people don't eat breakfast. They eat mainly junk food. I call it highly processed food. Why? Because there's very little kids, mom and dad, had, because of economic demands, had to go to work and the child had to raise themselves. And what yeah. you need are really guidelines of that. To and to demand that a child develops its own guidelines is not reasonable. It takes a village and a culture. Yeah, and, and things do need to change, right? I mean... Uh, it is very challenging because in terms of, of, of our tech industry, I think technology is great. We're doing a show here. It's great to be able to do this. You are on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast, and we can talk and communicate. It's great. That's the advantages. But in terms of intimacy, we, we can have intimacy in talking with each other, but that's different than real intimacy. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. My, I mean, I, yeah. And so now going back to the question that Viata Robinson raised, but, you know, if it is, I do think there is a potential cost. Well, let me just read the question real quick. She says, what are the emotional consequences <clears throat> if an infant doesn't get to physically bond with mom right after delivery? My granddaughter is nine now, but when she was born, they kept her away from her mom for two days due to an infection in mom. Okay, great question. Mm -hmm. This is the same issue which would occur in a different way when people have had cesareans or in few, uh, one or two generations ago when almost all the mothers gave birth and the baby was taken away and put into the nursery, that quality. I do think human beings are remarkably flexible. So I think we can, it doesn't have to be a curse or anything like that. At the same time, we are mammals. <laughs> And therefore, it is an evolutionary process that right after birth, the baby is put against the mom's breast, and then eventually starts breastfeeding at that point and make that body contact. It does two things. One, it, it enhances the bonding. Two, it also reduces the stress in the mother at that point after her delivery. So that bonding part is very healing. Does this mean, the question is by not having had that body contact for two days, is the, the baby permanently scarred? I think it doesn't have to be that way. I think there could be an effect for some kids. 
But I think depending on <clears throat> on how the child was raised with the parents, it's just different. You know, it, it, so we are not just only one event. The event sets a stage, but we how we use ourselves, what happens in our family makes many differences. Some kids are born very sensitive. They need lots of caring and they are reactive to almost anything. Some kids are different. So yes, I would not recommend that the baby is kept away from the mother. And I would say the date is quite useful or important that kids who are born premature, that they are now doing kangaroo care, where the, the, in the, the premie is almost held against the mother itself. That mm -hmm. seems to increase the, the well-being of the baby, possibly the mother as well. <coughs> and I think both are true. But I would just say it happened. Now just give her tender, loving care, set clear boundaries, and just see in the child the goodness and the potential. And well, so you... let me let me ask a, a follow-up question to this because I I have a you know a thought that you know the addictions that these children are having, whether it's addic addiction to technology or a food or what have you is also coming from two places, which is the womb and then from their food supply, meaning, um, you know, uh, I think I actually emailed this to you uh, in response to one of your articles, the bliss point. And the bliss point, uh, for people who are not aware, is a formula created by Dr. Pepper, the founder of Dr. Pepper, which I think is Howard Moskowitz. Um, no <laughs> No, no relationship to you, right? And, um, and oh, yeah, no relationship to you. Sorry, I'm like Moskowitz, no, Dr. Pepper. So, um, so it's the bliss point. And the bliss point is the formula for sweetness and sour and salt, okay, that has the human crave more. So that you don't want just one potato chip, you want another Dr. Pepper, or you want another piece of whatever it is that you're eating. Um, Think of it in a different, in a, in a way, I call it an evolutionary trap. Mm -hmm. From an evolutionary perspective, we wanted calories, we wanted sugar, we wanted some salt. There's almost no no, there's no mechanism in our body to say no to that because we needed those calories to grow. Now yeah. all of a sudden we have our food industry who now supplies an excess of this and purposely processes so it has the right taste and flavor just like what you said the kind of yeah because he sold that formula to every food manufacturer in the world basically and that's the whole food industry that the ties to design the kind of taste and mouth feel mm -hmm. and then we demand that we have voluntary control but remember a baby what is its task to or a child or an adult to get calories so it can survive if a famine is, is next door. Yeah. And so the one who could eat more had no problem, but the foods we always ate were natural foods with lots of fiber and all this stuff. And now, however, we have taken the cue which comes into our mouth to simulate that, to evoke that survival process, basically what it would be, and now we, and then we eat more and more. And then we demand that children have voluntary control, that they should not eat this. It's totally unfair. Do. 
it's totally unfair. They don't have control. And then they grow up and they have addictions to things like drugs and, and alcohol and cigarettes, or what have you. And I assert it's starting in the womb based on the mother's diet. And then it's based on that baby food that they're giving them if it's processed. I helped raise my girlfriend's triplets and the food we made was from scratch in a blender, right? From Whole Foods. And then even more so, if you look at food we now eat, it's mm -hmm. almost soft and and or we give you know you think of the i mean to me it's almost criminal that we have a, a formula for babies i because, agree uh it's you know i know if a woman has difficulty breastfeeding formula is great but beyond that formula should not be used at all thank you i bias because i think it's harmful for development and even if you, you can look at the people at babies faces even our human skulls are now different than in, compared to the 16th century. Although our genetics are the same, we have to, we tend to have more narrow faces, and part of that is by is partly biomechanical. At least it contributes to that. That if you're sucking from a bottle, you're sucking in, mm -hmm. and that pulls this in. This is still plastic and developing. Otherwise, orthodontics wouldn't exist if it couldn't change for our teeth setting. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we give babies baby food, soft food. And as we get older, we keep eating all these soft foods so we don't ever chew. And because we don't chew, our mouth, our upper palate goes gets, gets more arched that, in fact, our face becomes narrower. Our upper palate tends to become more arched. That affects our breathing. It reduces the breathing through our nose. Now we end up mouth breathing, which is common among many, many children who have ADHD or other problems. And so we contribute in our food because it's highly processed and super, super ultra refined foods are just harmful. I would it's say. Not, and I would go to the extent of saying it's not food. I would, I would, I would, say, it's, I would say it's something I, you put in your mouth. I'm agreeing with you totally. And yeah. then it's, it evokes a high glucose. It contains lots of variation of sugar, which trigger a glucose an, an insulin response, leading to this ep contributing to the epidemic of diabetes. And that epidemic of diabetes will is contributing to an epidemic of Alzheimer's or other breakdown of, of human systems. So absolutely, yeah. And like you know, and people um, are just shocked when I tell them. Uh, that their water supply and their food supply are contributing to their current state. Like there's a trust factor out there for what is being approved by the three letter agencies of, you know, of the government. Right. And, <clears throat> you know, your water supply is full of toxins, no bottled water. And 99% of the cases is not any better. Um, and you need, you, we are held responsible for filtering our own water at the tap or where it comes in from the house. And so we have to, uh, release the learned helplessness that we have, you know, that, you know, we have taken on over the years and be completely and radically responsible for what we put in our mouth, how we sit, how we breathe you know, like all those things. And, and I know it's a huge shift, but it's worth it. Yes, but then I totally agree, but I think it is almost beyond the individual. This is where community, local, 
state and federal regulations need to change. I okay. let me give an example because you have to regulate the food, you know, no one wants to tax sugars, but if you make a significant tax on, on all the added additives, then mm. food will become more expensive. Right now, it is the, the cheapest food you can buy is all this highly processed food, partly done with government support in farming. Uh, paradoxically, and we don't support the organic farmers, for example, or that that strain of food supply. So you're talking about federal and state regulations, which is very difficult in the culture, in this culture. I'm thinking now of China, for example. Mm -hmm. I have not agreed with their policies, but I do agree conceptually with some of the things they have recently done. And I wish you, I can't see that happen in the United States. They've just changed the rules for kids, for children. You know, it is shocking what they have done. I mean, I'm just looking it up myself right now mm -hmm. where I have this data on kids. They have just changed the regulations about the use of computers and cell phones. Children really? in China under the age of 18 could not spend more than 90 minutes a week, a day, 90 minutes a week playing computer games. They've just made a new proposal that children under 18 cannot spend more than two hours a day on cell phones. Children, young children, are not allowed to bring cell phones, can't even have cell phones. Mm -hmm. And because they realize they are captured, I was going to get the actual data here, but I, I have to look for it. I'm sorry. It's okay. But it's close in that domain. And, you know, that is the, I mean, I wish we had some wisdom at times in Washington where people can really say, wait a minute. You, that's, that's, a, that's quotable. I wish we had wisdom sometimes in Washington. <laughs> where we have, where we think of the common good for everybody versus the partisanship and where we can start setting some guidelines, which really, how do we optimize our health in young people? And that includes our diet guidelines, Saying, oh, our diet guidelines are a joke. And the fact that the EPA is approved for all these chemicals and they're in our water supply, I mean, uh, or and the FDA has approved things that, you know, the drugs, they put me on 19 or whatever, 17, I can't remember, drugs. And one of those drugs were black boxed. And so, you know, and I didn't even know what a black box was at the time. And, uh, but the, one of the ingredients was fluoride. Well, it's a neurotoxin. Right. And there was enough fluoride in there that it gave me small fiber neuropathy and um, and fibromyalgia. So um, we're getting thank yous because we are supposed to be done. It was six minutes over ago. But I, also, I would just end then to say realistically that it's, it's a shift in perspective. Technology is very healthy. It's useful for how we live to meet people. However, you need to set the constraints and limits. It's just like having dessert. Yeah, dessert yeah. and is great. To have a piece of pie or whatever, every so often is great. If that is your main meal all the time, it's a disaster. And so in that sense... Oh, oh, excuse me. I would <laughs> say, the truth. <laughs> you know, I would just end up finally, you know, if you want to look for guidelines, an understanding of the evolutionary perspective, suggestions how to breathe, how to adapt your technical world so to optimize tech health, I recommend our book, which we co-wrote together with Rick Harvey and Nancy Fass called Tech Stress. 
And so on that note, thank you so much. Yeah, and let me just show people real quick again uh, where that book can be found. I put the link in the thread for the for purchasing the book on Amazon. We also have uh, Eric's information here, and then I'm just going to share the screen. Um, uh, this is Amazon. Uh, tech stress, how technology is hijacking our lives, strategies for coping and pragmatic ergonomics. Um, I highly recommend that you, you know, buy the book. Um, you know, preference, as he mentioned, is the hard copy, but, you know, because you can share with others when you're done, which is what the practice was when we were kids. And then, um, you know, and honestly, we, I do both because if there was a time where I couldn't, my eyes couldn't follow the page, which we kind of talked about. Uh, now I'm able to read and have my eyes follow the page again. So I, I, I prefer having a book in my hand. Um, but, uh, you know, really grateful, uh, Dr. Eric, for you uh, sharing your wisdom um, it has, uh, been so eye opening and, um, uh, what a gift you are, you know, to our community. So thank you and to the world. So well, thank you so much for inviting me. And now I think everyone should just get up and wiggle and move and take a walk outside for one instant, look outside the sky to it, to reestablish your health. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, Donna and Teddy and all my uh, our followers and, uh, and uh, Rajai and everyone. So we're looking, uh, um, yeah, this will be good. And next week we have uh, Dr. Matt uh, Smith uh, from Travel Puncture on, and um, we'll be talking more about stress and other methods because there's so many ways to uh, approach uh, reclaiming your health and doing it just using even your breath. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, run the ending. And uh, thank you very much, everyone. Mm -hmm.